Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode 10, where we revisit and rank The Spy Who Loved Me. After being knocked out by Anya, Bond reports into MI6, where he finds an unlikely alliance has been made. Join us as we take a look and eventually add The Spy Who Loved Me to our rankings. So Bond wakes up from his his cigarette gassing uh, on the boat, um, wakes up and the, the boat's docked and uh, he's obviously kind of like confused and, and Anya's gone, is she's gone missing and he asks uh, he asks the, the boat boatman, does a bit of his Egyptian um, uh, talking and, and asks where the girl has gone, I think that's what he says, uh, and the man points like, just inwards towards land. I don't know. This is a bit I don't quite understand this this connection from this part to the next scene because Bond then goes and walks off into this town and gets laughed at by everyone, I guess because of how he's dressed. I found that quite funny. Like people are just literally pointing and laughing at him, which <laughs> can't have felt very nice. But um yeah, Bond just like walks into this uh, like another temple um uh, and down this path and through this gate. And then suddenly there's like this big electronic door and he presses a button and then he's suddenly in like an MI6 HQ area, except it's obviously like Egyptian themed. And I don't quite get the connection as to how did he, I don't know, maybe I'm just overthinking this, but it it was quite a jump to go from that to, oh, there was, there's MI6 really close by. So it's fine. Yeah. They just don't put the pieces in there. Like, oh, you yeah, would assume yeah. after the fact that he's just reporting in, but, like, nothing that happens in the scene implies that that happens. And I think they just wanted to quickly get to the briefing scene, and they just didn't yeah. really put enough in there to, to get you to that place. Yeah, I would agree. But anyway, he, he is there, and it is, as you say, it is going to be another briefing scene as he walks in, and, hey, there's Money Penny, and uh, we didn't really get a Money Penny and Bond scene earlier on in the film, and this is really the most we get is just this kind of one little line. I can't even remember what it is um, between Bond and Money Penny, but it's it's kind of similar to the last film where they had the the MI6 offices on the the sunken ship, but you know instead of the gimmick being that everything's at an angle, it's just like yeah, there are hieroglyphics everywhere and they're in inside a temple. It's it's again, it's a little bit much, but it's it's fine, I suppose. Um, at least they're doing something a little bit different with this this whole scene where uh, Bond walks through into the next area, and the first person he sees is not M; it's actually the the Russian uh, comrade general who we saw earlier on, the guy with the red phone. Yeah, uh, he's sitting on the side and kind of looking a bit ominous. You get sort of like some suspenseful music and what's going on here, uh, and. I think, does Anya come out first or does M come out first? Oh, I think Anya is already there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, basically, um, yeah, it turns into just a regular briefing scene because M comes out of the door and, oh, Bond, we've been expecting you, uh, which is said twice in this film, I noticed. Maybe even more than that, but at least twice, which I thought was strange. But M's there and reveals that uh, the British Secret Service and the KGB have teamed up to try and work out what's happened to their submarines. They've joined forces. And that's why Gogol is there with Anya, who comes out and kind of smugly saying about how easily she got the microfilm off of Bond, and uh, but they're willing to share it as part of this diplomatic uh, kind of joint thing going on. Uh, 
Uh, Bond then explains that actually it's useless and it's, it's there's no point looking at it really because some vital part of the schematics have been taken out so you don't actually know what the tech is and that's what he was doing on the boat when he was looking at his little microfilm magnifying thing uh, kind of taking the wind out of and your sails a little bit, um, but says, you know, maybe Q can do something with it. So they presumably give it to Q to go and scan as well. And uh, then we get a little bit of a little bit of Q branchness, except obviously we're in an Egyptian temple. So you need to have some related gags to that. So I can't even remember what they are now. Well, actually, I think the first one is like a magnetic tray. <laughs> yeah, it's a tray with a like teapot on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's definitely some other ones as well. Like, there, oh, there's like a there's like a chair that springs up and stuff, and that's like a really awkward slow mo shot for some reason. That stood out to me. But yeah, eventually you get to them sitting down with Q, who's got scans of the the uh, the microfilm, and they see on it some like they zoom and enhance a part of it, and it reveals. Basically, something related to Stromberg. I can't remember what it is exactly. Something to it's, do with his Yeah, mind. it says something like like some of the symbol, like a fish symbol, and then like laboratory or laboratory or something. But they kind of like piece that together, like because it's more of that back and forth between them, right? It's it's Bond saying something that's smart, and then Anya trying to top it by saying it, and together they work together to kind of figure it out. And I think one of the guys, maybe M, comments like, "Oh, this is going great. We're we're, we're getting stuff done so quickly. <laughs> like, I know this is going to be a great success." When they're really just doing it to try and one up each other. Oh yeah, you're right. Because yeah, Bond says, "Oh yes, that's his marine technology thing in in uh, Corsica or something." She's like, "Actually, it's in Sardinia." <laughs> so they're just trying to one up each other. Um, one thing I found interesting in the scene, it was a little bit earlier on, it's as they're going through one of the doors, uh, is that M and the Russian guy address each other by their first names and that M calls him Alexis and then the other guy calls him Miles. I think oh. that might be the first time that you ever realise where the M comes from, presumably. Oh, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, is that really how they're going to... I mean, I guess this is before they, they made the whole M thing with Judy Dench like a secret. So maybe they just didn't care at this point. But they, yeah, they finally revealed it. Well, it's a really nice way to show they're on like equal leveling, like that, yeah. isn't it? Right? Like, yeah. that's that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think this whole scene is, is obviously very much setting up. It's just a lot, lot of exposition for setting up with the whole Stromberg and Marine stuff. I, I don't really love the whole Q stuff, to be honest with you. Um, Q wasn't really even in this very much, really, for being his his own like little base bit. But you know, it's 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 fine to see. Anya and, and Bond you know, one up each other and then eventually kind of reluctantly have to work with each other, or at least from Anya's perspective, because, you know, I think she finds them quite annoying. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. like actually teaming up together is quite a nice plot plot point. Yeah, I don't think much of these scenes overall. Yeah, like you say, the Q stuff is just a bit weird. Like it kind of comes out of nowhere and they just showed a load of gadgets in your face. It's just like, why are we doing this? Um, mm. But the the plot point itself is strong enough where... You know, a lot of this film is about how it's the KGB and MI6 working together, and I think they do a good job of not make not taking it super seriously, uh, but still having it kind of be quite strong. And it's fun seeing Bond and Anya bounce off each other. So I didn't think much of this scene overall. It's nice to have the briefing, I guess, somewhere else. I'm not that fast about that now at this point. We're on film number 10. We've seen so many variations of the briefing scene that when we get a new one, it, it needs to be something different where this yeah. is just, they're in Egypt. 
So there's some hieroglyphics <laughs> on the wall. So great, brilliant. That's, yeah, that's um, pretty much it. Yeah. Although I will say, we don't do the hat stuff anymore. No. No. I guess oh. that was Harry Saltzman's uh, baby because that's gone. I, and I don't think it happened in the last film as well. Does Bond not do something with his jacket? Because he's got his jacket over his shoulder. I Maybe. It's maybe definitely no hat jacket. throw, though. It's definitely no hat throw. No, the, the hat <laughs> throw's gone. And I think it's... I don't think it was in Live and Let Die either. I think Roger Moore, maybe it was in his contract, is like, I will not be tossing hats. Maybe he's really bad at throwing things. Actually, no, it was in Live and Let Die, wasn't it? Must have been. Oh, our hat throwing history is getting muddled. <laughs> no, I think it was in Live and Let Die, uh, but I think it was the last film where it cut out. And I didn't think about it when watching this film, but I'm thinking about it a lot now. And it definitely wasn't in this one, so that's sad. Yeah. So yeah, so the, the Russian man or the head of the KGB is saying like, you're going to work together and they give each other a little smile. Like, oh, Bond is smiling at her, then initially she doesn't smile at all and then eventually does smile. Um, mm. Which I think is kind of hinting that she is warming to Bond and his man-boyish charms. Uh, oh, James. <laughs> oh, James, indeed. And we cut to them on a train. Um, they're all looking very fancy on this train and it's them returning to their quarters saying, ah, oh, that was a very delicious meal and they kind of have a little bit of a dialogue back and forth while she says about she loves traveling by train and and they kind of refer themselves as working for different companies and things like that and Bond, I, I don't remember the dialogue too much. I think overall, I think I like the idea of this relationship and kind of how a lot of this plays out. But I think she, like, the chemistry is just, like, okay. Um, like, not far from bad. And I think the concept isn't strong enough for me to overall like it. But in terms of their kind of back and forth and the, when they kind of have these conversations, I would say overall it's just kind of okay. Um, like, good enough to move the plot forward and have this work, but nothing really too memorable, especially compared to, you know, certain stronger Bond girls in the past. Yeah, I do like how they touch on the the aspect of, you know, they're both spies, so they, they can't really say much. So they're, I think she's about to say a story and then kind of cuts herself off because it was, you know, related to a mission. And yeah, like that's the only, this is the only time that you'd really get that situation when there's two spies working together. So it's an interesting play. I don't really think it's, yeah, it's not done to very much detail, but it's, it's, uh, it's there very, very shallowly. Yeah, yeah. It's, and the pacing of the film as well means that you don't think about it too much it serves its purpose it's okay you move on um, so we see that they're in rooms next to each other and bond's like oh i'll buy you a drink and she's like no nah, i'm not gonna go and drink with you because tomorrow's probably gonna be very busy and like there's this scene where i think the idea is that they're both kind of undressing and getting ready to bed but i think they're both waiting for each other to come through and knock Hmm. Like, she's in her nightgown waiting, and then Bond's kind of getting undressed as well, and I think he's kind of, they're like kind of playing off each other, like, they both kind of expect the other one to knock on the door and say, hey, no, we should do something, but uh, that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's like they're almost back-to-back on the door, like the dividing door, like listening and hoping that the other person comes in. Yeah, pretty much, but as she then is getting ready and she opens the closet, and Jaws! (laughs) Jaws is in there! No, he's been waiting oh, no. there all that time. <laughs> Apparently. Um, but yeah, Jaws <laughs> is just in the closet and attacks her and, and hits her down. And I think she screams and then Bond hears the screams 
and opens up the door and sees Jaw. So the champagne that Bond had bought earlier. So when Bond was offering her a drink, he had the champagne. He just smashes that in the back of Jaws. And we get a, a fight here between Jaws and Bond in a train. Well, would you look at that? Another train fight. Yeah, yeah. But we get a very different type of fight with this one because this is them very close together. And we've already seen that Jaws is superhuman and is very strong. And in terms of a, a fist fight, we also saw that Bond can't punch him in the face because back in Egypt, when he punched him in the face, he hurt his hand. Oh, yeah, I heard a clang sound. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, ah! <laughs> um, so we get a very different type of fight. It's it's not this back and forth or rest, or even wrestling. Well, I guess it is, but uh, Jaws basically just picks Bond up, like shoves him into the ceiling, and then throws him into the, the bed wall, of which then Bond like picks up... A ch- is it a chair? It's some sort of wooden frame. Um, I can't remember, actually. Yeah, it's like Bond is basically like he's being thrown around and Bond is trying to get him, but at some point, Bot like Jaws bites into this like wooden thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Bond smashes him with it, but he isn't really kind of getting much done. And Jaws eventually picks up Bond and by the neck, and Roger Moore looks very scared. Like, yeah, he's really selling it. Like, this is the best <laughs> acting he's ever done. <laughs> like, I don't know if he just thought, like, is, is this guy actually going to bite me? Like, oh, God. <laughs> but he looks very concerned very big bulging eyes and going red as he's being grabbed by jaws like this yeah which we've seen like bond be damaged and be injured before you know like with the blood coming from his mouth and the man with the golden gun and stuff they like they have done that in thunderball when sean connery gets shot in the leg but this is like the most panicked and kind of loss of control we've ever seen bond in a fight Definitely Roger, yeah, definitely Roger Moore, for sure. Like, he, he is looking, he's not looking good. His eyes are about to pop out of his head. Hmm, because there's, they've put Bond in bad situations like this before, but this is one where it's, like, really, like, oh, God, Bond is, like, scared. Like, he looks really scared. Hmm. Which is understandable. Yeah, especially when you've got Jaws looming at you. And the thing I, say, so obviously Jaws is about to do his whole biting the neck thing, but this time I think there's more struggle involved. There's a lot more tongue. <laughs> I was a bit creeped <laughs> out by this. <laughs> I don't know if you spotted it, but yeah, it wasn't quite as cleanly done, you know, for obvious reasons, because they're in the middle of a fight. But uh, yeah, yeah, just like, ooh, oh no. <laughs> I didn't notice the tongue, but that would make me be very scared if Jaws yeah. went to lick me. Yeah, I mean, it did look like that at points. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Jaws goes in for the bite and... We didn't really see him get bitten, but he does. Oh, what, Bond? Yeah. Does he? Yeah, because we see his wound after the fight on his shoulder. Oh, okay. I I missed that completely. Well, yeah, because I, I assumed it's here because I don't know where else he could. But yeah, he takes off his shirt later and there's like a teeth mark on his shoulder, which must have come from this bit. Oh, right. Because that's why and like she says, oh, do you want me to massage or something for you? Yeah, because right. Bond's actually injured. Like, he does yeah. get bitten. Right, okay. Uh, but while this is happening, as as Jaws goes in for the bite and only gets a little nibble, uh, <laughs> Bond <laughs> Bond finds a lamp, or he's kind of desperately trying to grab for something, grabs a lamp, smashes it, and then jabs Jaws in the mouth. Gives him the old shock treatment. Um, mm-hmm. And this causes Jaws to kind of, like, bend over a little bit and be like, ah, oh, I've been shocked in the mouth. Of which... Bond then quickly kicks him out of the window. 
And he rolls out and stands up. His, his suit's a bit dirty, but it's just like, oh, okay. And he's yeah, just, just completely fine. Brushes himself down, he's good. I was really worried when he uh, stands up outside the train. In the back of my mind, I was like, oh my God, they're going to add like some sparks to him like as a bit of a gag. Like He like flinches again and the spark comes out of his mouth, but they didn't. I don't know why I thought that, but I was like, oh, they're going to do it, aren't they? Thankfully I not. could see that. I could see it happening, but it didn't. Oh, thankfully. And we get a quip here, Joe. Did you pick up this one? Um, no. <laughs> you didn't? <laughs> no. <laughs> so Bond then says, he just dropped in for a quick bite. Oh, God. There you it's go. So obvious. So obvious. It's right there. It. Oh. He said, po- shocking, positively shocking. <laughs> now that would be i would like that if he just blatantly reuses a line yeah you know she wasn't there before so and then he looks at the camera and says this didn't happen to the other fella (laughs) (laughs) i think i made that joke in another episode but i love it (laughs) never Uh, forget uh yeah so bait so yeah so she's there and bond's fine a bit injured and because the window's been completely smashed in they're like, well, I guess we have to share one room now. I guess we can't, we can't have two separate rooms, or just tell someone the window's been smashed. Um, and then she's all like, "Ah, oh, you saved my life, James." And we get, yeah. So he then takes off his shirt and reveals the bite mark, which is a little bit bloody. And she's trying to treat him, and we then get a, a very sexy horn version of "Nobody Does It Better." And I don't think this goes anywhere. I, I think it's just kind of dropping the seeds of them being, or seeds of them being romantic. But I don't think anything really happens here. Um, no, I think you're right. It's just letting letting it be shown that, yeah, like they're they're now definitely warming, or she's more so she's now warming to him, and you know probably like there's now a debt involved to it because she saved his life, so he saved her life, sort of thing. Yeah, which is nice. It is nice that, that we don't go straight to and then they kiss and sleep together and now they're an item. Like, it doesn't take that long to get there, but it's nice that it's not quite that typical Bond girl thing of, oh, Bond saves her once and now they're in love. It's nice that there's one oh, extra scene before well, that happens. I don't know, though, actually. Now I'm thinking about them. They might start kissing at the end. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I didn't write I'm it down. I'm not sure. I was thinking about the bo- the boyfriend subplot that we had from the beginning of the film. I was like, when's that going to come back? Yeah. Which it does, but I was like, by this point, I was like, yeah. I, I was just very confused because I assumed that she knew who Bond was, but then I suddenly thought, oh yeah, that boyfriend thing, but now we're getting sexy horns of them two together? <laughs> like, I don't, don't quite get it. darn sexy horns. Damn you. <laughs> You just see Jaws up by the train with like a trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> a man of many talents. Very talented. He's supernatural, his uh, trumpet playing skills. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this then cuts to them in a carriage, like being pulled by, I think, a horse, right? Does it? They're, yeah, they're in like this carriage being pulled along a dock. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they're, they've been sent to Italy. So I think we mentioned it before in the briefing scene. They're saying like, yeah, this place is in Italy. So they've been sent there. So we get an accordion track, which I think is another remix of Nobody Does It Better. Yeah. 
But I wasn't sure because, again, there's no real strong hook with that song. So when you play an accordion version, I was like, is that it? But if you're saying it's it, then... I think it is. I think I recall that, yeah. Hmm. Uh, So then a white sports car arrives uh, by boat onto the same dock and it's Q driving it, (laughs) which is... (laughs) such an amazing visual Q stepping out this like fancy like high-tech sports car i love that i love that we actually get to see Q drive a car because you know he's this is when he made these things you never see him actually use them there you go and yeah and the fact that he's quite old at this point (laughs) just really adds to it yeah uh yeah and then we kind of get quite an interesting shot scene anyway because so bond beats up with Q but separates himself from Anya. So Anya is on the side watching this from a distance where Q is giving Bond the gadget briefing, basically. He's going through, here's what the car does, and you can see him showing all the different features, but you can't hear anything that they're saying because the scene is shot from Anya's point of view. And this is exactly what I was talking about with, I think, Live and Let Die, I think it would have been, where... It's still the smart gadget setup. It's still saying like, yes, there is something to this car that you do not know, but Bond knows and Q has explained it to him, but they hide it to the audience so they kind of reveal it later. Like, really smart. This is exactly what I wanted from some of the other Bond films. Yeah, totally agree. I I was really impressed by this. Also because I, I had forgot, I mean, apart from the obvious gadget that this car has, I forgot what things it had, so that was quite nice actually kind of learning as I was watching the film now I'm sure I was trying to like think back to this like when this would have come out in 1977 I'm I'm sure that they would have revealed in like trailers and promos that the car can turn into a submarine or like there was toys of it so that it wasn't going to be a massive secret but I guess within the premise of this film it was a really clever idea to keep that as like a big wow moment so I really I really liked how they did this Hmm, just very smart like a small change but a change that really kind of helps because i'm okay with bond just kind of pulling out gadgets and just enjoying the gadgets but you know we've seen that formula in terms of bond being explained a gadget and then that coming up we've seen it so many times they do need to mix it up and this was just the perfect way of mixing that up and still having it all be satisfying and still allowing bond to have gadgets yeah yeah definitely and we get a nice end to the scene where Bond and Anya gets in the car and Q's like, please do try to maintain the equipment, 007. Uh, and then he says, <laughs> oh, don't worry, Q, have I ever let you down? It's just frequently. <laughs> it's yeah, great, great delivery of that. Yeah, I think they kind of recreate this exact dialogue in like maybe a Pierce Brosnan film because I feel like I've heard this before. I don't remember it being in this film. Hmm. Like it's it's those iconic lines. It's like now do listen here, double. So it's another one of them, and it's it's one that's really funny because Bond also just like burns off. Like you just hear the tires squeal, and he just like <laughs> drives <laughs> off. So it's just like, yep, not saying that again. Yeah, it's just pure like exasperation. I love it. Oh, it's so good. Um, but this leads to Bond and Anya then checking in to their hotel. Uh, it wouldn't be a big Bond film without a hotel scene. Quite right, and. We see them checking in and they're going under the guise of Mr. and Mrs. Sterling. So they're a... Are they a recently married couple or are they just meant to be married? I think they're just meant to be married, I think. 
Yeah, I don't remember any honeymoon stuff coming up. No. Although there is a line about... Oh, no, I think that's just being on holiday. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's just being on holiday. Yeah. Yeah, so they're, yeah, they're going on to cover. And when they check into the desk, the woman says, oh, there's two bedrooms. And Bond then says, ah, oh, that's just money penny. I can't remember the exact word he used, but blames it on money penny. Mm, which I like that because Money Penny is not really in this film very much. I mean, she never really is in many, you know, a lot of the films for very long. But just little little lines like that is just enough, really, to, to keep keep that character going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Bond gets a message from the front desk and says, "We've been granted an audience," which really confused me. Uh, like <laughs> yeah. it, re- because they just don't explain what they're on about. Um, but the idea is that. They're there to investigate Stromberg, who we have not seen for a good chunk of this film at this point. Yeah. Like, he was in that initial scene, great scene, but he's been fighting Jaws, which I like, but now they're trying to tie it back to Stromberg, but now they, like, reference him and say, like, oh, we've been granted an audience, but don't explain it. Like, you know, if this was Largo in Fundable, say, and he said something like that without specifically saying, Largo, you could put that together quite easily. I feel like with how little Stromberg is in the film at this point, it's not obvious that he meant we're going to go and see Stromberg. Yeah, well, especially because there was no... Like, we've been told they're going to go to Sardinia to investigate, but we weren't told that they're going to try and meet him. Like, you'd maybe think they would try and do it uh, as, you know, spies and try and spy, but they're actually trying to... They're, they're going in a disguise. Um, which, yeah, I, I was I was the same. I was like, what, an audience? And then... Thankfully, it's like the the very next scene is like, oh, okay, right, fine, I understand now. Yeah, it like it cuts straight to them all dressed up, and this woman gets off a boat because they're now on a, a dock, and it's Naomi, I believe is her name, mm. uh, and she's been sent by Mister Stromberg to meet them. And Bond is saying how he's a marine biologist, so Mister Sterling, the marine biologist, and they get on a speedboat to go to the water base, and we see Stromberg. What like yeah they get on the speedboat they get there and Stromberg is watching them in this reflection, and the music was also kind of weird. I don't remember exactly how it went, but it was like weirdly like upbeat. It was just like another example of the music just being too all over the place. Like you would expect this to be quite menacing of Stromberg watching them enter, and the way it's shot is that you only see his reflection in the window, and it's actually not that clear. Uh, which I really like as a concept of the villain watching them, but it being a bit more obscured. Uh, but then the music's just like this upbeat kind of weird thing. It's it's just another example of what we talked about before. Hmm, I don't remember the music, but maybe that's a good thing by the sounds of it then. Yeah, yeah. It, again, it wasn't great. It's fine. Like a lot of this stuff, it's fine. It's just, yeah, music's all over the place. And this is another example. Yeah. So once they reach uh, Stromberg's big spider octopus lair... Anya stays with Naomi. I can't remember what they say, but Anya's supposed to be in this situation as Mr. and Mrs. Sterling there. I think she's meant to be Bond's uh, assistant, or Mr. Sterling's assistant, even though they're husband and wife still. So she stays with uh, Naomi, the the speedboat lady, and Bond goes to go see uh, Stromberg. So this is also where Bond calls her darling. Oh, oh, is this the darling? So when they're pretending, Bond drops a lot of darlings in there um, <laughs> as part of it, which is quite funny. Clearly, that's Bond's tell in that case. Um, but yeah, he goes to see Stromberg, who's in uh, his like big aquarium room, 
Um, and this whole scene is kind of a bit, it's a bit strange. So yeah, Bond's there as a marine biologist, Mr. Sterling, there to go see Stromberg, who uh, I guess like research-wise, he's got a lot, so that's why they want to talk to him. But he goes there and they don't really do much. So Bond goes in and kind of they, I think he, he tries to shake Stromberg's hand, even though he'd been clearly told not to. I guess there's a bit of a power play. I don't know. Like It's presumed that Stromberg is a bit of a germaphobe, maybe, or something like that, hypochondriac. Um, and immediately, like Stromberg is suspicious because he almost tries to catch out Bond as a marine biologist and ask him to uh, identify this fish in the tank next to him. And you get this moment where it's like, oh, is he going to, does he know? Is he going to be caught short? And no, obviously he knows somehow uh, everything. Like, I don't know when he did all of his, his research and <laughs> cramming in of knowledge. Or maybe he just knows a lot about fish anyway. But um, yeah, he reels off that it's fish and it's venom and whatever and and uh, passes the test for Stromberg. So they talk a little bit, but they don't, they don't really like... Stromberg is basically a chance for Stromberg to reveal what ends up being his like maniacal plan of wanting a, an underwater civilization. Um, because he has this little model of it. And I really can't think of anything else that is really... Oh, one other thing in the scene, actually, is that which I thought was quite nice, is that Bond in the tank spots like a severed hand, or it might be a foot, some sort of severed limb. Yeah, And yeah. It's, it's obviously the woman that we saw get eaten by a shark earlier. And see, that I think is like such a, that's the way to do it. Like none, none of the really awkward shots with the, the shark earlier, that in itself is way more creepy and, and violent than anything we saw earlier. Just, you know, it's because you just left to, to think about that. Um, I really liked that. But yeah, this whole scene, I, I, like, you have to correct me, but I really can't think of much that is actually delivered in this. Yeah, this is where I think Stormberg starts to fall down for me as a villain because this is a very forced scene of, in previous Bond films, we have the scene where Bond talks to the villain and they're usually some of the best scenes in the films. So they clearly wanted that to happen, but this just serves no real purpose. It's just not all that interesting as well. And I think the guy playing Stormberg is really good but him talking about, oh, ocean's cool. I'm going to build an underwater city and save mankind and look at my fish. It's just not interesting what he's talking about. <laughs> There's just no real chemistry between these two or back and forth. It's just Bond. Uh, and, it, you know, on paper, this is a good scene because it's Bond pretending to be someone else and getting to show off his knowledge of fish and this guy who's kind of quite intelligent and sophisticated, but also, again, deranged uh, going off. But yeah, this scene just didn't work. It's so short. It's no real kind of good lines in it. It's just a bit of ocean banter and then he leaves. Yeah, it's a shame. It is a shame. As you say, I think it was a bit, it's just kind of forced in there. And I, I guess it is just to reveal or kind of set up the crazy plan that Stromberg has, although we hear it again at the end of the film anyway. So I guess it's just to add to it a bit more and just kind of really cement that he hates, <laughs> he hates land <laughs> and he hates the civilizations and he wants his own one. Um, but yeah, that's it really. And, and Bond thanks him as Mr. Sterling and, uh, and goes back down to see Anya, who's still with Naomi. And just as they're about to leave, they spot a model of a tanker. And uh, Naomi says, oh yes, this is Mr. Stromberg's brand new tanker or something. The Liparous, I think it's called. And uh, Anya almost lets slip about something. I think because 
Naomi says it's the biggest tanker in the world. And, and he's like, oh, surely not bigger than the Karl Marx or something like that, you know, trying to trying to stand her ground as as the KGB. But um, Bond says something like, <laughs> it's a really patronising line. I can't remember what it is now, but it's just like, oh, you really do have the most interesting information, darling, or something like that. <laughs> just like brushes her off. And, and uh, yeah, then they leave. And um, they they leave the, the lair and it cuts back to... Uh, Stromberg in his in his aquarium room and Jaws comes in and confirms that those were the two people that he saw. Uh, was it on the train or in Egypt? I mean, seen them a lot by this point, but basically they're the two people meddling in Stromberg's plans and so have them killed. But don't have them killed in here. Wait till they get ashore, Stromberg says, for some reason, uh, whilst he's munching on some peanuts or something and throwing them in the tank. Uh, so there's a really nice detail with this kind of scene because we have Bond leaves Stromberg and, and goes off. And as he enters the lift, they show a shot of the shark um, as basically like a reminder of like, yeah, the last time somebody went in the lift, they got eaten by a shark. Or this is kind of a very real possibility. So there's kind of like this reminder of that could happen. And the fact that it doesn't is kind of, you know, confirming that Stromberg doesn't want them killed at this point in time. And kind of allows them to go to shore, which maybe that's nonsense. I don't know, but I like that kind of small kind of detail. Uh, I also do want to say we finally have a unique base layer design. No more rocks. <laughs> yeah. No more just a load of rocks and a load of like stuff built around it. It's like a unique design, and I love it. Like I, I think it looks really good. I will say that it being so water themed. And having a load of fish in the ocean, it's like we've kind of seen a lot of ocean stuff before in the Bond franchise. Um, yeah, that's true. I think it looks good still, but like we, we've seen a lot of this. Like they love fish in this franchise and stuff. So we sadly have kind of seen that, but taking it by itself, I love the kind of design of this. And I, I love that it's different. Like it needed to be different and it does... Even though I'm not super convinced by Stromberg as a villain, I think it does elevate him. Like how Kananga was kind of brought down a bit by the fact that his lair was just so generic, concrete and rock. But yeah. this guy having something that kind of reflects his personality does build up his personality and sells him a little bit more because it's all the art, it's all the fish, it's this underwater base. And yeah, it's just so refreshing to finally see something different. It is a bit of a shame then, because I do I do completely agree. It is a bit of a shame that most of the rest of this film takes place on the tanker and not the lair itself, because the tanker ends up just being like, you know, lots of metal. <laughs> Whereas you're not getting any of what, like, the stuff you just said, like the cool, like very grandiose rooms. And then, oh, I don't know. It's not it's not terrible, but it is a shame when you have such a strong base design. They don't, they don't use it too much. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that, really. I didn't put that together, but yeah, the big action scene doesn't take place here. There is a bit of it, but yeah, it's it's separated out, which is mm. a shame. Uh, so Bond and Anya then get back to shore and we see them in a car and Bond is saying, oh, we should go and take another look at that base. I think it's the base he's talking about. Um, yeah. Or it might be the tanker he's talking about. They, they kind of go between the two. Like, they want to go and take a... They're suspicious of the tanker that they saw the little model and they're suspicious of the base. So they're like, we should go and take a, another look at that. Oh, um, yeah. You're, yeah, because he says, like, uh, the bow the bow design looked weird, so I'm, I'm going to tell M to to look into it or something like that. 
yeah, it's just more just Bond putting stuff together and saying, yeah, we'll go check it out. Um, but while this is happening, there's a man on a motorbike and follow is following them. And at first they don't really do anything, but eventually they start driving faster and yeah, the bike kind of chases after them and the music all kicks in. And this starts off by Bond kind of driving up to a truck and just getting stuck behind it. So we're in Italy and it's these very thin rows that like follow the coast. So there's this truck in the way and, and Bond kind of doesn't can't get round it. But this motorbike also has like a sidecar attached to it. So as Bond is stuck behind this truck, uh, the motorbike fires the sidecar like a missile and the missile shoots <laughs> towards Bond. Uh, but at the very last moment, Bond is over able to overtake and the truck that he was stuck behind instead gets blown up and completely destroyed um, by the sidecar, which causes a load of feathers to come out. I'm assuming there were like chickens in that truck. I think it was a mattress. Oh, was it a mattress? Like a, yeah, okay, I think there was like a, or like pillows in it because there's like a shot of a bed on the back of the truck. Oh, I see. Yeah, like maybe a duvet or something. But yeah, he gets covered in feathers and then just drives off the cliff. And then we get you must know this one. I I remember this one, but this really annoyed me. This whole <laughs> yes, thing. yeah. So the line is, it's like Bond looking in a rearview mirror and says, "All oh, those feathers, and he still can't fly." And I mean, that's a great line, but you have to think that Bond's like so far ahead of them, he would not have seen that. <laughs> I know it's no. a really annoying point to to dwell on. But it really irked me. It's like, well, Bond would not have seen that happen. So how does he do that? <laughs> He's always comes prepared. He just always knows. Does. Yeah, he just knows. But I do. I love this kind of moment, though. You know, I think this chase overall is pretty good. But I, I like that moment. It's it's just that balance of silliness as well. Uh, just seeing someone drive off the cliff in a Bond film is just great. Like, it makes me laugh. <laughs> but it's something that they do a lot and I, I'm here for it every single time. Someone just going flying off a cliff and be like, ah, like it's oh, always, yeah. always enjoyable. I loved it. And what was it? It was the one in uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service on the ski. Oh, the ski one was just, I think that's still up there. Yeah. But this one's also pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get there. It reminds me a little bit more of a Dr. No uh, man falling off cliff. Mm. Although nobody explodes. Well, I guess the explosion happens before, doesn't it? But yeah, it's still pretty, just a man falling. It's just kind of funny. <laughs> I want that. I want that as an out of context quote. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. I'll stand by it. Your honor. Um, so yeah, so the motorbike guy is taken care of, but a black car then shows up. And inside this car, we see four people. And one of them is Jaws. And it looks very cramped in that car. I would not want mm. to be in a car with Jaws. No offense to the man. Um, <laughs> Are you saying he smells? I just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. How is he cleaning his teeth? Let's let's figure that oh, one out. Good point. Yeah, need some descaler. Yeah, descaler. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't kill him, would it? It would just. He'd be fine. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they're all firing guns out the window at Bond, and one of the jaws like finishes his shooting as well and he runs out bullets so he just grabs another gun off the the other guy and starts shooting at him and then we see bond using one of the gadgets where he sprays i'm not quite sure what some sort of foam was it sludge yeah like mud or cement or something weird yeah it's something kind of of dark yeah it's not yeah it's not like a foam or anything but yeah some sort of gunk all over their windscreen (laughs) which causes them to drive off the cliff which is cool 
and we go to a man who is in front of his house, all set up. He's got his little table, all ready to enjoy his lunch. Or I think he's currently enjoying his lunch, and the car just lands directly into the roof of his house. (laughs) Really awkwardly. (laughs) Yeah, it's like right in, like directly downwards into the middle of it. And then the Italian man goes, Mamma Mia! Like, oh! (laughs) But like, actually, Mamma Mia, that's not me joking. He shouts Mamma Mia at this. I mean, that's the thing is, do Italian, I don't know, any Italian people listening, do do you actually say Mamma Mia? Like, as a shock? I don't know. Or is it? (laughs) I don't know. I would like to think they do, but I'm not Italian and I've never been to Italy. But I I like to think so. I've been to Italy not too long ago. And someone did say Mamma Mia quite a lot, but I think they were kind of egging it on for the tourists. I don't know if it's actually what they might say day to day. Ah, right. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, this guy gives a very big reaction. Mamma Mia, ah. And as as he's doing that, we see Jaws just casually walk through the front door of his house, just dusting off his clothes and uh, then walks off. And I would say, because I might seem like a hypocrite here, but I actually really like this little moment. Yeah, it, it enforces about Jaws and it's more of that Jaws being invincible and I don't know if it's because the man's Italian but it just made me laugh <laughs> just kind of yeah it's just to legitimately it. quite funny I liked it yeah like these are the sort of scenes they were trying to do in the last two films with Live and Let Die and the boat chase and well Matt the man with the golden gun and the boat chase I guess where like with the wedding in Live and Let Die where the chase kind of interrupts what's going on and then the people kind of react to it and I didn't like it then, but I think this one, probably because of the pacing, really, right? Like, it doesn't really interrupt the fight, and it ties into this whole thing about Jaws and people like Jaws. Um, that you just kind of get this quick laugh, and then you're kind of back to the scene. It kind of... I wouldn't say it's like, oh, this is the perfect way of doing it, and the last ones were a bad way of doing it, but this just kind of... It's just a lot more effective and a lot more kind of enjoyable for what it is. And, yeah, I, it did make me laugh. I liked it. Yeah, and I liked how, I mean, this whole, from the moment they're in the car and they're getting chased by the motorbike and the sidecar thing, up until next we get a helicopter, this whole thing is one continuous chase. And I kind of like that, you know, they are bringing in all these these different means of being chased and keeping it fresh. Uh, You know, it's not like a 10-minute boat chase like we had in Live and Let Die, it felt like. Um, And so these act as like natural stopping points between these different modes of of chase and um yeah i can appreciate it for that like it's definitely trying to keep the pace up and keep you entertained which is not something guy hamilton was that fussed about so it's nice no. we've got someone else at the helm <laughs> it's like should we make this entertaining and actually enjoyable it's like, oh, okay all right we'll give it a go <laughs> and then guy hamilton's on the phone saying you know that italian man could be jw pepper i'm just saying <laughs> oh my god that to- he totally would have been yeah that you're right he would have totally been on holiday with his wife in Italy this time. He's there eating oh garlic my. bread. We're like, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> God, what a bullet dodged. Thank God yeah. for that. Think about how successful this film would have been otherwise, but <laughs> they didn't want to make more money. That's fine. <laughs> oh. uh, but yeah, as you say, we carry on with the scene. Uh, very quickly, we, we get to a helicopter then shows up, which is flown by Naomi, uh, the woman from before. And this is where the funky kind of Bond double, uh, 77 kind of song kicks in again. And like, I think one of the problems I have with this theme is that the elements where they are just taking the Bond theme and kind of giving it a different spin, I love. Like when you actually hear those elements from the original Bond theme being played here, I think that's awesome. 
and you get that a lot in the ski chase at the beginning where you get the funky kind of stuff but then you get the funky stuff going into the bond theme and you hear a lot of the bond theme which is great but i feel like a lot of these other examples when it comes in they don't really play that part of the track too much they instead just stick to that beginning like guitar funky bit Mm. and to me that's not the most interesting part of the song but they kind of just for some reason focus on that bit for the rest of the film when they insert it with these action and chase scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's what leads me to feel like it's a bit overused. Uh, it's you're right. Like, it's always this one bit of it. Um, because the song is quite long. Like, yeah, you're right. There are different sections of it and it's always this, it's like the bit with the, is it a cowbell? I don't know what instrument it is, but it's like, yeah, it's always that part they're using, which is, yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, I mean, that part's not bad at all. It's just not the best part of the song. And they always start on that bit. Always. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, okay, let me try and figure out <laughs> how this works here. Because Naomi's flying the helicopter and shooting at them. And they're driving. And then I think Bond spins in a circle in some way. Um, I don't remember how. That's just what my notes say. Um, but he's trying to get away, but can't. Um, and is driving and the helicopter leaves for a little bit, but it's just waiting for them later down the road and just shoots at them as they come. And this is classic, similar to From Russia With Love, just the helicopter shoots at them and I don't think ever hits them once, (laughs) despite the fact that it is constantly shooting bullets at them for like a few minutes here. Honestly, helicopters have not had a great track record in the Bond films. Maybe just don't use them. Yeah, I mean, I still like this this part of it, but they don't seem very effective. Yeah, I just mean, if like on the villain's point, like they never really seem. If you're going to try and chase Bond, helicopters just don't seem like the best method. No, he just drives off. So, ah, damn. And then you got to like turn the whole helicopter. It just looked really uh, cumbersome. Mm. But overall, I definitely like the visual of like a helicopter following this, you know, sports car on this helicopter road oh, not helicopter road <laughs> on this italian uh small road like mm. it's a, it's a very good setup for a bond chase uh not, not something they always get right but they obviously found this location and thought right here's what we're gonna do and that that really helps this chase stand out yeah and i like there's a little scene where they're looking at each other through the windows and there's just little like roger moore gives a little smile back and like to her and it's just like a nice little moment it kind of reminds me of like uh uh, the tie straightening in is that the world is not enough where he's down the Thames and he goes underwater it's like tiny little moments in a in a chase scene like a little bit of lightheartedness yeah I was going to say Goldeneye because that car chase or car race has he does the same thing I think the little nod oh yeah yeah that one too right yeah but this all leads to Bond is well he's going to show off a, a pretty big gadget here so he drives into the ocean and Anya is just freaking out and he's like, can you swim? Um, all very calmly. And the car gets completely submerged underwater. And while it's there, we see all these kind of things change on it where the tires fold into the car. These little, like, I guess, wings is what you would call them, uh, come out of it. And it completely transforms into this submarine. I say completely transforms. That's not really fair. Like it still looks like that car, but you see all these like mechanical changes that it makes so it can, well, uh, I was going to say swim underwater. I'm not sure if that's quite right, but um, all these like propellers come into the back and it completely transforms. And 
it's it's quite interesting with this car because there's so many things in the 70s era of bond that we have complained about about yeah the 70s kind of style didn't really age very well and it looks a bit awkward now and it's not quite as strong as the 70s but this car just looks so cool like very much of the time but just looks really cool like this one is definitely the one out of all of these that probably holds up and stands on its own the the most i mean if you're gonna have any car that's gonna transform into a a submarine like the lotus esprit is a pretty good one to pick i mean as you say it adds on some propellers and some fins and things on the side but it already looks really sleek and cool looking so that's as much as it needs to do to then sell you that oh yep that is now definitely a submarine i can i can totally believe that uh and i think just those insert shots of it transforming is what really sells it like it it's it really grounds it because like clearly actual model work going on there to to make the wheels turn in and the things pop out and and the shutters come down over it if it had just gone in and then like you know magically transformed you didn't really see it i think it would have deflated from the scene but you see it go from car into sub very clearly and it's great i love it i mean there's a reason why this is up there as one of the, like, the best bond cars it's just so good hmm. and it's them going back to cars uh, we i think we talked about it before where the last two films in the roger moore era no cars like he drove cars but it wasn't really a big part of the film and this one they're going back to like no the car's a big deal and look at the really cool thing that it can do hmm yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I really like it. I agree. Like they set it very well, and it's just it, it's impressive to see. Like it's impressive to see it all come together. Uh, it's a lot better than the the flying car in the Man with the Golden Gun. It's quite oh interesting God. to see the wrong version of that scene in the last film, and now the right version of that scene in this one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That I didn't even think about that, but back to back, you can really tell. God, that was so bad. <laughs> Yeah, they they should have painted the Lotus so uh, yellow and brown. That really really sold it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're now underwater and hiding, and they have a little camera that shows them the helicopter. I don't quite know how that works, um, but I guess that's fine. And we see the helicopter there, and Bond hits a button, and it fires a missile from underwater, and blows up the helicopter, and that's yeah. the end of Naomi. And then they drive off, and as they drive off, we get some very lovely music. Because I love underwater. this music. Yeah, I love this music. At first, it's like just some strange sort of classical music, as you see some aquatic life, and there's like a jellyfish. But then it turns into this something more similar to the Bond seventy seven theme. But it's not; it's different. It's it's like this kind of synthy thing that's going on. And I really love this theme. It really it really adds to the visuals of this this car underwater. Yeah, the, the visuals are great here because, yes, seeing the car underwater is great. And overall, all the scenes with this car, it looks really good. Like, they set it really well. But it's nice that they just throw in shots of, like, the reef and mm. manta rays and jellyfish. And I don't know, maybe in another film I wouldn't have liked this stuff. But I don't know, it's really cool. It, it grounds this car as actually being in the ocean, even though they do kind of shoot it separately. But maybe it goes back to me liking water, like back in Thunderball. Um, but I like seeing all the manta rays. It's not really needed, but I think it looks really good. Yeah. So in the Lotus Esprit, they they swim down. What is the right word? I don't know. <laughs> Propel, I guess. Propel down to the uh, to Stromberg's lair um, near the bottom uh, at the legs, and and they're looking around and um, they're trying to you know get some intel about what's going on and how he's tied into the whole sub disappearance now 
I don't really know what they see because they do go down to where this round bottom window is and you do get this shot looking in and you see like a big, I think it's a big globe, like a big map. Maybe Stromberg's there. It's really not very easy to work out what they're seeing, but it's clearly enough. uh, Sorry, I think, and I didn't get this at the time, I think they find the location of the tanker on the globe. Oh, oh, I did not get that at all. I didn't get it until I was just thinking about it now. But obviously later in the film, they go to that tanker and they would need, and they use the sub as bait, right? So I'm assuming they found the location of it and that's why they went there to kind of use it as bait. Right, okay. Yeah, because it's not really, they just look at it and and I guess they're just, yeah, trying to find any sort of connection and see that and and that's enough. But um, just as they're doing that, they get some... They get some henchmen, swim out uh, in their little propeller things, little tank propeller things, and uh, you start getting a little bit of a, a fight scene between the, the car and, and these bad guys. And uh, it's um, it's all right, this bit. I don't love it because I think maybe it's like this is going back to Thunderball and I just don't really like underwater fight scenes very much. But, um, yeah, you, you get some more examples of the Lotus's uh, gadgets and actually Anya starts to use them as well this time that like she starts to flip some of the buttons on the controls uh no like seemingly knowing what to do so at one point she uses uh like there's some ink like some black dye that comes out the back to to disguise where they are and for some other things uh well this this bigger mini sub comes out and uh, starts to attack them and I think then they drop some mines on it and stuff like that so you just see a little bit more of the gadget tree um, and they eventually take out all these these bad guys, but they do get they do get hit, and the car does start leaking. So they do have to they do have to get out. Um, one thing that is I thought was quite interesting is that yeah, like Anya seems to know how to do all this stuff or what the car has an offer, and then she does say that oh I uh, I stole the blueprints for this car two years ago, which uh, is a really quick little line, but it is quite nice in that you know reminding you that yeah she is an agent and they probably have a lot of intel on each other. Although it does beg the question of how, like, why was she she so shocked when they dived into the water? Oh, that's a really good point. Anyway, (laughs) uh, they get back to the beach uh, and they they drive out onto the beach, literally. Like, I guess it must have converted back into a car underwater and they drive out of the water. And this is the first of, I think there's three now. I think there's three you get at least of... Double taking guy, <laughs> oh. double taking guy who reacts to something crazy Bond's doing, because yeah, there's this there's this Italian guy on the beach and he's drinking some wine, and the car comes out of the water and Bond's there with a fish. That's a bit slaps, bit that's a bit too cartoony, but you know he drops a fish out of the window, uh, but that leads to the this guy drinking the wine to do like the the old double take of the oh, what am I drinking sort of thing, um, and he comes back. He comes back with a vengeance twice, twice more. Uh, it is a little bit much, but, you know, I guess you've got to take it with this. You know, you are going to get these silly scenes and it's not that bad. It's just uh, that one is a bit on your nose with it. I like the idea and I, I'm all for this like kind of comedic scene of the, you know, the car coming out of the beach. That's pretty funny. Like it's been done a lot now at this point, like going back to it's a little bit rough, but I like the idea of it, but it's so cartoony. Like, and the fact that the Bond theme starts playing, 
Like, why are they using the Bond theme in this way? Like, where it has to be like, as like a dog runs away, <laughs> scared. Like, what? what is, like, I think that's my main problem with it, the Bond theme, where they're trying to tie the Bond theme with, or oh, look at James Bond being so out there and silly and everyone being like, Boah. like I don't like that. But I, I don't mind the idea of the scene. Uh, I just think, it, I wish it was toned down a bit and they kept the Bond theme out of it. Oh, I Joe, I didn't even I didn't even remember it played the Bond theme then, but yeah, that that does sound bad actually. <laughs> it's not that is not a Bond theme worthy moment right there. No, but I want to say maybe the future Roger Moore films do the same thing, and I think we've had it happen before where they they use the Bond theme more for a comedic sort of purpose, but this one was very blatant, and I'm I'm not up for that. I don't want to go down this road. Mm. Uh, so anyway, it cuts back to. Bond and Anya at their hotel. Uh, Bond gets a message from the hotel receptionist that we saw earlier. And it's from M, I believe. And it's basically about the tanker because, you know, he said that he told M about the strange design and that's just what they found out more information about. And apparently it hasn't been docked in months, nine months or something like that. So definitely something going on with this tanker, basically, is what they're learning so they should go and investigate it further. Uh, and this whole scene, like that's the main bit of like plot-wise for the scene, but then we do get, and I'm sure you're happy about this, Tom, they finally address the elephant in the room with the whole thing they set up right at the beginning of the film about Anya and her lover, who is eventually killed by Bond in the ski chase, because I can't quite remember how it's done. I think Anya wants a, she's lighting a cigarette, and so she asks Bond to light it for her, and... It's like such a contrived way of bringing it up. It's like, oh, that's a nice lighter. Where did you get it? And she's like, oh, I got it in the Alps uh, in Austria a few months back. And she was like, oh, really? Or she's like, oh, how long ago was that? And uh, basically that's how she connects the dots of he was the British agent. It's taken her this long to realise he was a British agent that killed uh, her lover. I, don't, he, I think he got a name. I can't remember what his name was. Um, and I... I like this scene because... Uh, I like the scene and I don't. I like the scene because you actually get... <laughs> I don't want to be too harsh on Roger Moore here, but, you know, he's not the most um, versatile of actors, let's put it that way. But you do actually get a bit of... a bit more from him in this scene where, you know, he's saying, you know, in that situation it's like a kill or be killed and I had to do what I, I did and, you know, he does turn very solemn and, and you're getting this little bit about that side of being an agent and you have to kill to stay alive and and I like that I like this little play between him and Anya but I really just I think it sets up for disappointment because it really doesn't go anywhere this this plot de- detail about how when she learns of this she says you know because we're on a mission it's, we'll, we'll carry on but as soon as this mission is over I will kill you for what you did and like that's a it's a strong premise but Ultimately, as we find out, I don't really think it goes very far. It doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, the scene as the vacuum is great because so far there's been competition between the two, but we've seen that she's kind of warming to Bond. So having this kind of be revealed here is kind of nice. And yeah, I think Roger does do a good job with it. And the fact that Bond is very straight with her, it's like we're in the business of people being killed. It was either him or me, so this is what's going to happen. And 
she kind of does somewhat understand that, but obviously she's still upset. So he's like, I'm going to kill you. But after the mission. So yeah, I, I really like this scene in terms of the progression of this film. I think it works really well because now they're still working together, but there's this new tension. But as you say, it's a Bond film and she's the Bond girl. So we know how this is all kind of going to go and that they're mm. going to fall into each other's arms and it's all going to be a big happy story. But yeah, I think this idea on its own is good. It's yeah. just because she's the Bond girl and at this point there was no way they were going to mix up that formula. We know at some point later in this film that's all kind of going to get pushed out the window. Well, pushed out the window to an extent, I'd say, in the very next scene. Maybe not completely out the window, but I think a lot of the tension of that scene is immediately destroyed because it cuts to them being lowered from a helicopter onto... Well, it turns out it's like a... a american uh, aircraft carrier but it has this shot of them as they're like face to face being lowered on this rope and bond is just like it's (laughs) the biggest grin on his face and it's immediately happened after this scene where she's like i'm gonna kill you after this and just to jump straight to that where bond is i don't know what he's trying to do but it's it just doesn't sit right at all to me it really saps anything that 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 scene would have then carried over. Ugh, I really hate that bit. Well, it's just Roger Moore's Bond, or just Bond being Bond in general. That he's just throughout the film, even when she's been annoyed with him, he's all been that cheeky chappy sort of thing. And yeah, like you could have probably just completely cut that out, couldn't you? You could have just had them on the sub. <laughs> you yeah. didn't need to show him like that. Yeah, like as you say, like you actually get you've got Roger Moore, you've got Bond there being serious and, and seeing a side of him you haven't really seen very much of as this iteration of Bond. And I really like that. And I just think they didn't need to immediately go back to cocky Bond, like literally in the next scene. But there you go. Just can't help himself. They really can't. No, but this leads to them. Yeah, they get onto this American sub or American manned sub. And oh, yeah, it is a sub. I don't know why I said aircraft. Of course, it's a sub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and we get a very awkward scene where Bond and Anya and the captain of this ship and the man is just like all googly eyes and just shocked to see a pretty woman it's just oh blah, 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 blah. i was like and then offers i'm gonna get through this kind of quick basically offers to for her to use his personal shower which apparently then she just says yes because then we just cut to later on where the captain's in his quarters and somebody else comes in who's working on the on the sub and then like is giving him a report and then behind him there's the shower curtain but there's a big old gap in it and you just see Anya naked showering but mm. also not even hidden for the cameras it's another case where she's like completely naked and you just see her topless quite obviously and then the guy who came in is all like oh only for the captain to be like, what happened? you never seen a, was it a commander shower before? Or a, oh, it was yeah. whatever her rank is. Yeah, yeah. And it's just not very funny. And it's also kind of ruins her character a little bit because she's meant, as you say with the last scene, she's very upset and she is a professional agent. I don't think she would accept a shower <laughs> when getting onto the <laughs> sub. Yeah, it's it's very gratuitous because it's it's just so unnecessary. It's it's clearly like they've looked at this in the script and thought, 
right, we've not had any like sexy scenes for a while. We need one here. And it's just like, no, no. Ugh. It's, but yeah, they've been bad. quite good at it because, you know, yes, it is somewhat play for laugh of like sexy women's and age and what like it is done a little bit like that, but it is mostly kind of restraint. And the main point of it is more poking fun at Bond rather than poking fun at the idea of a woman being an agent. There's a little bit of that up to this point, but it's more about how Bond reacts to her and how she's kind of gets the upper hand because of that. But this completely throws out the window and it's just like sexy lady having a shower. The boys can't believe it. It's pretty crazy. And it's just like, it just, just didn't need it. It wasn't funny. And it's just, just wasn't funny. And it's just awkward. Yeah. Could have cut that bit out completely. Mm. Uh, but we see them on the submarine and Bond is back in his naval commander uniform. Oh, Always yeah. a pleasure mm-hmm. to see him like that. And she's then saying to him, like, because they're on the sub in the control room and she's saying how, oh, I've never failed a mission because she's going to kill him. And Bond then says, someone will end up gravely disappointed, which I don't know if you would count that as a quip or not, but it's very borderline, at least. Um, so while they're on here, the alarms go off. So very similar to what we saw in the opening sequence, we see Bond and Anya and this crew on this submarine and all the alarms are going. Um, but this time, instead of just cutting away, having someone being like, oh my God, um, we see the tanker from before Uh, so instead of it being a model it's the actual tanker and it's slowly approaching the submarine and the front of it then just kind of opens up like a big set of doors like completely opens up and swallows the sub entirely so i guess what this is is the only live twice scene but instead of space we're doing it on the water I think Lewis Gilbert really... Maybe he just had a thing for, like, swallowing. I don't know. <laughs> a thing he's, for swallowing. He's, oh, clearly no. obs- he's clearly obsessed with, like, things, in, like, encapsulating other things. I don't want to get creepy, but, like, why is it... It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same premise. Why? I don't know. Because it's not very intimidating. Like, it's not the same at all. No. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's, like, just a... It's a bit more silly to me. This giant tanker opening up, it was a little bit too silly for me to kind of buy into where the space stuff, you can somewhat disconnect it because, oh, it's space, whatever. I don't know what those scientists are doing in space. Maybe they do have stuff that opens up, whatever. Like, it's fine. Um, But this one just is a big boat that opens up. Um, And also, we don't get that fantastic score that we got from you twice. There's no theme on it. It's just a big scene of the boat or a tanker swallowing a sub. So it just kind of falls completely flat for me. I didn't find it intimidating. I didn't find it very tense. Yeah, I I, I think this whole this whole bit in the tanker and this whole ending bit. I I, I mean, we we'll get onto it, but I do think the the pacing takes a bit of a hit from this point on. Um, and I think part of that is just because we do spend a, <laughs> now a lot of time in this tanker, and it's not the most interesting for me. I agree. Like, yeah, it's surprising. Like, the rest of this film... Like, up to this point, the film was paced really well. Really quick action. Lots of stuff happening, but you can follow it. Lots of different elements at play, but it works. And now everything just grinds to a halt because this is the tanker. And as well as being the whole in space, you know, swallowing up other things, the tanker is also the equivalent of the volcano base. 
Um, yeah. So before we had the volcano base and you only have twice, which is this big base that was built into the volcano. This time we get a very similar setup, but instead of being in a volcano, it's just in a big boat. And it's very metallic, as you said before, like there's a lot of metal here. But for the volcano base, that was really cool because of the whole contrast with the fact that it was on a Japanese island hidden in a volcano. Like, that's awesome. Um, so seeing the metal really stood out. And here one, it's a big boat. I would expect it to have a lot of metal. So it's not <laughs> like you've found a secret base. You've just found the inside of a tanker. It's like, I don't care. None of this really stands out. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like, well, this is so as a bit of a like a background to the set. Like this is the reason why they they built what is now like the 007 stage, which is one of the biggest stages, like sound stages um, in the world or at least in Europe. And they did it specifically for this film and for this set of the tanker. And they did that because, uh, you know, more links to You Only Live Twice, when they built the volcano set, it was a temporary set. Like, they had to take that all down. It was just a huge waste of money in the end. So they built this soundstage as an investment as well. And it was, like, it was huge. Like I say, it's, like, one of the biggest in the world. And I'm sure that being there, and, like, don't get me wrong, it looks cool, right? The set looks, it looks cool. Like, I'm sure they did a great job. Um, but I think it's one of those things where, I don't know, it wears off very quickly, like that you're in this big space, you know, with lots of walkways. And of course, it's got a monorail. <laughs> it can't, it can't oh, yeah. not have a little monorail system. But yeah, unlike the volcano, which I think had a bit more novelty to it, as you say, because the setting, this very quickly just becomes, yeah, you're in a boat and then you move on. Hmm. Well, that's the risk that you get when you try and recreate something from another film and do it again. If you don't have enough of a twist on it and it's not as good, it you really feel it. And yeah. this is what I get with the tanker where I think the volcano, just having the fact that the top opens and stuff, is kind of enough to really add something to it. But this is just indoors. Like it's so it's just inside a boat. It's just not interesting. And yeah, the the size is a, a big part of it, but We've just done it before, and this is just a worse version of it. And if you're going to do a worse version of it, it's really going to stand out. And that's all I got from this. It wasn't bad. It's just like, yeah, I wish I was watching You Only Have Twice, because that was way better than what we get here. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, in You Only Have Twice, where they're, they're scaling down from the... That was cool. That was cool. Yeah. Mm. You don't get that here. <laughs> no. But what we do get is... Uh, Stormberg is now walking through the base and the submarine has been completely swallowed. And they then attach this like speaker onto the sub because Stormberg just loves his like PA tannoy systems. Like he does it throughout the film. He just has to be over the mic giving orders. <laughs> it's got a it's got a powerful voice. Maybe he just wanted to be a disc jockey. Oh, in yeah, another wrong life. career. Yeah. It's like disc jockey, flood the world, underwater city, uh <laughs> So close. Um, but yeah, so he basically says to them, open the sub or we're going to kill everyone on board with cyanide gas, which captain then looks at Bond and Bond's like, well, I guess there's no alternative. Of which the captain takes that to mean we should leave. I don't know if Bond actually wants to do a suicide run there, but um, that doesn't happen. And then very oddly, well, I guess it's not that odd. I guess it does make sense. But everyone gets out of the sub and stands on top of it. So we are now inside this tanker and it is a big base. And Stormberg's men, there's like a ton of men all with guns here. So they, they're they surrounded. There's nothing they can do. Um, they're just completely outmanned and, and outgunned. 
So they all then get out, but Bod is saying, like, stay close to me, Anya, and we're going to try and hide you. Which made me laugh because Bond's like, we'll try and hide you. And then you just cut to Anya leaving the sub with a hat on. It's like, perfect, <laughs> done. Like, I guess Q Branch was <laughs> just like, just wear a cap. I don't know, leave me alone. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't think it's meant to be an homage to Dr. No with the more practical gadgets here. But uh, yeah, they just give her a cap and, and try and hide her. So throughout all of this, we see a giant bronze ball attached to the ceiling go backwards and forwards, which essentially just acts like a camera, which is just observing everyone. And I think that's how Stormberg nearby is watching them on this big bronze ball camera. I wouldn't normally mention it, but it comes up later. Um, And then, yeah, so everyone gets off the sub and a man knocks off Anya's hat. So Bond and Anya go into attack mode start chopping um, but there's too many of them so they're captured and then uh, get taken or Stormberg says bring them to me so they get carried away and taken to Stormberg yeah that that, that whole thing with oh, let's hide Anya that lasts for maybe five seconds <laughs> like it's immediate that their disguise is ruined I mean it's not that's not really an issue I just I just found it quite funny it's just like straight away yep captured yeah, it's just funny. Like it makes sense. Like right, they would recognize her, but they would probably recognize Bond or Stormberg would anyway. I don't know why. Like he's seen him. They've met face to face. Yeah, and especially because Bond is wearing his like he's got a different outfit as well. Like, he's got his commander outfit on. He sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, he's like, wait a minute, is that Mister Sterling? <laughs> I know that marine bi- biologist. He knows his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Bond and Anya have been caught and they're taken into uh, like this big central control room where Stromberg is. Stromberg's also got this sort of second-in-command guy, mustached man in a hat, um, who is like in control of the the plan that Stromberg's about to deliver. Um, which is yeah, this is you know it's about to you know it's always got to be there the 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 moment where the villain reveals their big secret. Or the big evil plan to bond, and this is the po- the moment we get it here with Stromberg, uh, and that is that you know he's got these these two. Well, now he's got three subs, but he's got his his British and his American and his Russian subs, and he's going to go send two of them out to go and uh, send their their nukes and attack uh, New York City and Moscow, um, and try to ignite a World War Three. Is that? It, you said earlier, is it actually the plan to like flood the world or is it just to destroy the world? Oh, I don't. I think it is just to destroy the world. Okay. But I think, <laughs> yeah, I, it's a bit confusing. Yeah, he wants to He wants to start World War Three and destroy the civilization and start a new civilization, as we saw with his little model, uh, under the sea, you know, Bioshock-esque and uh, big domes everywhere and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, he's mad. He's completely mad. We think we've got that. We've got that by now. Um and that's kind of it, really, as far as evil plans go. Quite simple. I like that. I can, I can track that. Uh, none of the, we've had some more complex ones in the past. This one is is quite simple, and I can I can appreciate that. Um, I think we get quite a nice line here, which I don't know if it was intentional, but because Bond initially is like, "How much do you want? Like, what's the price of this?" Of which he then says, "I'm not looking to extort. I'm not an extortionist. I'm looking to create a new world." which I feel like might be a reference to Blofeld, 
Yeah. Because every single one of Blofeld's schemes was like, right, we'll steal some weapon boys and then we'll just get a load of money for it. Sounds good? Cool. Um, so I quite like the idea of Bond maybe thinking about Blofeld and assuming that Stromberg's the same, or at least for the audience anyway, kind of saying like, yeah, this guy's not Blofeld. This guy actually wants to nuke and kill everyone. Uh, here's a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. I did write it down here, not interested in extortion, because it sets out that, you know, he can't be reasoned with. He is truly loco, right? He doesn't want money. He doesn't care about that, uh, which is quite interesting because it's very similar to the villain we'll get in the next film. But anyway, um, Schomburg takes Anya as as a prisoner and, and leaves Bond on the tanker because uh, Schomburg goes back to his, his lair, his, you know, the one that rises up and down. Um, in a really interesting method as well. I don't know, like, I had to sort of rewatch this because, yeah, like, he gets onto, a, a like, a jet boat with some other people and Anya and, like, get, get shot out. <laughs> I don't know. It looked really weird. Like, they get shot out and, like, land in the water and go back to the other layer. I had that yeah. as well. I had to rewatch this. Like, I try not to rewind too much with this, but I had to do that because I was like, wait, wait, wait. Did he just get shot at, like a missile? Like, yeah, that's what it looked like. And I was like, why? Why? What? I mean, it looked kind of cool, but surely that would be quite, I don't know, it looked like it might hurt. I like how Anya didn't do anything and everyone was very casual about it. Like when Bond drove the car underwater, she freaked out. When she gets shot out like a missile from a tanker, <laughs> nothing, not fussed. That's fine. <laughs> it's happened to her all the time honestly she's yeah, bored. It's tuesday for her <laughs> uh so yeah bond is is taken by some guards uh and he's like being walked over some walkways and stuff and he very quickly manages to sort of overpower them and and like knock them out um i can't really remember how he does it it's not really that that interesting he just does and it eventually cuts to uh the monorail good old monorail has to come back in some... I think Ken Adams just really liked monorails. I think I've said that before, but he clearly did because you get one of the henchmen um, riding on the monorail and it's kind of revealed that Bond's in the back and forcing him to and says, you know, call over that guard, which he does, and then Bond knocks them both out and goes to release all of the previous sub-prisoners, so all of the, the British and the Russians as well. I think he just the British, and he says that to them to go and go and release the other prisoners and oh i didn't even think about that i because i didn't notice the russian ones i know because there's the american crew that he came with that he rescues yeah. but obviously he rescues the british one because you see the british captain but i don't ever remember seeing the russian guys yeah i don't know if you ever see him in the firefight that eventually does happen but yeah i don't know i have to assume they're there somewhere um yeah it tells him to go release them and go to the armory and you know load up on some guns because they're about to go storm uh, storm the tanker and that's what happens <laughs> well before that well just as they're about to start attacking the main control room where Stromberg gave his big speech they kind of seal that shut they've got these big thick shutters that come down and kind of lock that in place because that's where all the control things are and you know they want to keep that bit safe but then we just get a huge I mean all I really put for this scene is just a massive firefight scene just like you only live twice explosions firing guns grenades uh, all of that for a little while a little while <laughs> true true quite a while i just ah, oh, i just didn't really like this at all and then this goes down to the pacing issues that this film then kicks in so first of all we get bond 77 play again 
which just we, we've this is like the fourth time it's played and it's just too much at this point and the setup exact it's exactly the same as you only live twice just not as good like just with this tanker in general so you know a lot of this fight takes place in that big tanker room that we saw before and it is huge and impressive it's just not as good and we do get some smart decisions or somewhat smart decisions where all the you know a load of guys are in blue i think the good guys are all in blue and all the bad guys are in red so you clearly know who's killing two, who. And we get some nice kind of shots of sometimes the blue guys being killed, sometimes the red guys being killed. But all of this is stuff that we saw before in the last film. And something that I praise You Only Live Twice for was how it gave you a really good sense of progression to kind of get more invested with the fight, where they start from the top, go down, and kind of take over the control panel. So even though you're seeing a lot of like explosions and shooting and stuff, and it somewhat feels random, they did a really good job of connecting it all to be satisfying in the end and have it or have a real purpose. This doesn't have that. This is just like a load of shooting and just the most amount of grenade throwing you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) Like just constant, like every second scene is someone throwing a grenade and an explosion. And just that in itself just isn't interesting. But that's just what we get for like five minutes of just shooting, someone dying, explosions, more explosions. And it just, it just gets really boring and it doesn't go on for, you know, I'd say it goes on for a bit. It's not too bad, this individual scene. It's just, we've seen a better version of this. This kind of strips away some of the stuff I liked about You Only Live Twice and just doesn't really replace it with anything that gives it its own identity or makes it that entertaining. Yeah, I, I would agree for the most part. I did get, I mean, at this point in the film, I'm a little bit zo- like checked out of this bit because, as you say, we have seen it before and I'm just... I'm really not a big fan of these big firefights anyway. I just don't find them very interesting. This one, as you say, it doesn't have that progression. The only thing that saves it for me, so they're they're fighting all the bad guys. They're trying to make their way up to this control room, which has been sealed off. And uh, at one point we see that the British captain has been killed. Can't remember, was it Grenade or something? So the guy in the white shirt, he's been killed. And um, <laughs> you get this, you get this scene with Bond, the American captain, and like, like this young this young British guy who was you saw earlier on and he's like leave it to me I'll go do it and he walks off and it just immediately gets shot it's just mm. <laughs> I just love the gung-ho attitude that he has and he just immediately gets killed oh I know not like, just him though he's like no. oh boys <laughs> yes, yes, yeah he, he like names three other guys <laughs> they all go up and just oh I just uh, was that scene meant to be funny I just found it hilarious that bit saved it for me just about I think it's meant to be, but yeah, it might also be the the old vets watching the young guy just mess up. But the fact that you just get killed, like, because is this where we see the flamethrower as well coming from the operation room? Oh, yeah, maybe. Like, so the operation room has all these little holes in it, basically, and then guns poke out and and shoot at them. But later on, at least we get flamethrowers. So it's it's setting the idea of like, yes, they cannot get in here by charging it or by just shooting it or blowing it up. It's just, they do it by having this poor young guy be like, I'll avenge my captain. Ah, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, leave it to me. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> May he rest in peace. Thank yeah. you for serving our country. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, anyway, so... The as yeah, as you say, they're trying to get into this place and they realize they can't. Um, none of their weapons are getting through this. Like I think they say, oh, that must be inches thick plating on that on that room. We can't get through. And I I got to admit, I think this is where I was saying I was a bit a bit 
checked out of this bit. I missed out on something, but they eventually realized that one of the nuke detonators could do it. Um, so they go to one of the subs that has... Well, I think they took all the, the nukes out of the subs, so they go to wherever in the tanker they have them. Um, and for some reason, it's Bond who has to do this. I guess because, you know, it is Bond. Of course, it's going to be Bond. But you know, he is in this place full of actual uh, serving navy men and everything that you think they would probably know a bit more about nukes but they let him do it and yeah you have this you have this scene of yeah he's trying to take out a detonator from a nuke but it's like a game of operation where he can't touch the sides of it and make contact otherwise it will go off and you know given that premise it's a very it's like meant to be like a nail bite biting scene is he oh you get this magnetic noise and this humming and buzzing and all, oh, you know, he's just about to do it. And you get these really loud gulps from this, uh, this man next to him. I really didn't like this bit. Again, it's, it's just more bad pacing where you've just had this massive fight scene and then it just suddenly stops dead. And you have this bit that's meant to be really tense and dramatic and it just doesn't work. I think they could have done this, but yeah, they should have just cut this out because ultimately it's, it's funny the idea of Bond being like, we'll just use a nuclear missile detonator to get through it. Like, and that's meant to be kind of funny, but like they have to explain how this all works to try and build up any tense tension in it, which mm. sucks away all the tension because they have to explain what's happening. Like, this is a nuke. We have opened this bit up. He has to spin this out of there and make sure it doesn't touch it because it's magnetic and it will go off otherwise. And you know it's not going to go off. Like, you know James Bond is not going to blow up the submarine. <laughs> like, he's not going to nuke himself <laughs> towards the end of the film. And it doesn't do a good job of, like, you know, kind of letting you forget about that stuff. Movie magic, you know, whatever you want to call it. And, yeah, as you say, just a bit boring. I would have liked it if they just cut this out and they went to Bond being like, well, just use a nuclear missile. And someone's like, a nuclear missile? What? And then it just cuts to Bond holding it. And then, like, that would have worked fine. Uh, but this this is just kind of dumb. It's not very interesting. It's not very yep. good. Uh, yep. And after the last scene, it's like... It's almost because this film doesn't have the double ending structure. Or at least I don't think it does. Maybe I'm misremembering that. But it doesn't have that same double ending structure. So instead we get one long ending that is just broken up very awkwardly into a big fight and then a slower scene. And then we kind of get a different kind of fight and stuff. So it's like it's doing the double ended like this. When the fight starts, you go in ending mode, right? Like I am ready for this film to end. We're going to have a big fight. And then there might be one ever on you know, an extra little brouhaha or whatever, and then Bond gets away with the Bond girl, that's fine. But it puts you in, like, ending mode and then tries to take you out of it and then tries to put you, like, back into it again. And, yeah, this film just completely kind of lost me at this point. I I, I mean, I wouldn't say I hated it or anything. It's just... It's just a bad way of structuring the end of your film. And considering how fast-paced the first half is, it's just kind of a shame that this half is just way slower for some reason. yeah. I totally agree. I, just, I I hate to say it, but I did get a little bit bored by this point. I mean, this is a two-hour-long film. We're we're at, this is about what, fifteen minutes left, and it's like just just wrap it up. Like I'm done by this point. As you say, you're in the mindset now, but you're not you're not near there really because you're not even at with the villain still. <laughs> the villain's buggered off. So yeah, there's no Jaws. There's no Stormberg. This is just trying to get into this operation room that you just don't really care about. 
Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. But eventually they, he gets the detonator and then they go back to the room, which is now kind of a little bit on fire and destroyed. Um, and Bond then jumps on the bronze camera that I talked about before and has it like slide along all the way up to the door. So I think it's his way of hiding from them because they're trying to use the camera to find and see if anyone's around, but he's on top of the camera and the camera goes all the way up to the panel. So he goes all the way along and the Bond theme starts playing at this point, which I guess is a little bit more appropriate. Oh, really? I thought this was a really... I did not like the Bond theme use here. To oh, no. It's just it's just like Bond straddling <laughs> this big ball. Uh, I didn't. Say, uh, I mean, I guess it is meant to be a dramatic moment, but I don't know. Although you have said the previous times you mentioned it being used d- does sound worse. So maybe in retrospect, this wasn't as bad. Yeah, like I, I kind of like the idea of playing the Bond theme in terms of Bond trying to use a nuke to blow up a door. Like, I like that idea of the Bond theme of like, this is kind of over the top, but only over the top because it's Bond and that's what he does. So I like it in this context, even if you're right, he does look a bit silly on top of a bronze sphere sliding along the top of a ceiling. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So then Bond turns off the camera. He then turns on the timer on the detonator because they hooked it up for 20 seconds and we get a very tense moment. Oh, the tension never stops where he throws the nuke or sets it up, turns on the timer, he then pushes off, but he doesn't move, and it's just sat there while the nuke is ticking down. Oh no. But eventually it does just move, and then it blows up, and there we go, it works, and they can get into the room now. Yeah, it, it, it's like the in the room, the the on the control panel, they had stopped it when they were doing something, and then they turned it back on just in time. I don't know, it wasn't really sold very well. I think... Um, I'm just so done with this bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so they all charge the room and there's more shootings and more grenades or whatever, but they eventually do take it over and the captain who was, or the captain of the, the tanker who was reporting to Stormberg earlier was saying, oh, it's too late. The missiles are going to launch in four minutes. And then 20 seconds later, someone says three minutes. So don't, I wouldn't worry about that too much. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened there. I guess I'm editing. Um, but Bond then on the spot comes up with an idea because we have these two nuclear subs who are about to... So the American one is going to fire at uh, Moscow and the Russian one is going to fire at New York. So Bond just says, we should reprogram the subs to destroy each other. And then Bond, like a 70-year-old learning to use a PC for the first time... <laughs> Gets a keyboard out, gets like a book <laughs> of the tracking system, and is just very slowly, like, hmm, reading the book, and then just typing very slowly on it to try and make it work. Oh, it is, oh my god, it is really slow. And am I right in thinking he like even like has his finger like you know like pointing and reading along the lines of it? It's just like yeah, he's really taking it in. It's like mm, how interesting, and then just it's tapping right, so. a few keys to make it work. I've got two minutes to do this. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, I liked it because it made me laugh, but it's a bit yeah. silly. The idea of Bond, the technician, <laughs> learning how a submarine, like, or oh, a missile firing system works. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, so eventually he makes them come up and you can see on the screen the positions of the two sub and the American captain then sends this. Like, this goes on for too long as well. I think the tension has been sucked out of this kind of finale due to the other scenes that we talked about before. And this one potentially could have been quite tense, but you also know exactly how this is going to go. Like, Bond says, we should reprogram the subs to destroy each other, and we just see that happen. Like, they send, the American captain sends the signals to the two subs to say, fire at these new coordinates. So they do, and then the missiles fire, and you see the missiles on the map go up, because it's in real time, apparently. And Mm -hmm. then the missiles just blow each other submarine, like, they just blow each other up. Uh, And then they just throw like some stock footage of massive like massive nuclear blasts like the typical mushroom cloud scenes which i'm like this is a bit much like i'm not buying this for a second that they actually like (laughs) used proper nukes and this is the footage of that like it just doesn't happen that will still leave some damage as well i mean i know it's better than cities being destroyed but there's still going to be a bit of cleanup yeah, like it's not, it's, I mean, it's a Bond solution, I guess, just nuke it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so that's that resolved, day saved, but we still got a bit of things to do. So the tanker just starts blowing up, which is handy timing, I guess. Mm. Um, I guess the idea is that because they were destroying it before and they threw like a hundred grenades that maybe the tanker wouldn't be able to take that. Um, so they then all just rush to get back onto their submarine, which is still in the dock. And they then, they need to get out, but the the tanker is shut where the doors are, so they blow it up with a torpedo, which is, again, meant to also be kind of tense. But we get just all these moments that are meant to be tense, and they all just fall flat, unfortunately. Um, Because there's just too many. But we get another one where it's like, how are they going to get out? So they eventually do get out, which is, it's just something we didn't need to see. Like, we didn't need to see this. Um, and yeah. at this point they're just not even showing james bond at all like this is just a load of sub guys getting in a submarine and trying to escape and it's like i don't care like where's roger i want to see what roger's <laughs> up to he's just taking it easy that was a lot of learning he had to do just then for those codes uh, yeah very tired Ooh, have a tea and biscuit <laughs> yeah. his grandson it's like it was very hard but i, I learned it okay <laughs> Uh, Grandpa Moore. <laughs> I like the idea of that. Grandpa Moore. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but they do get out and eventually we do get a shot of Bond and the captain and they just watch the tanker sink so that the tanker is completely destroyed. And these are impressive shots. Like, it is kind of impressive seeing this huge tanker kind of blowing up and we get a lot of shots of it sinking and you do get that really good sense of that. So, yeah, even though I was a little bit tired by it, I did like actually visually seeing this huge tanker sinking into the ocean yeah and also you know saying goodbye to it <laughs> maybe that's what i liked as well yeah bye <laughs> all right that's enough of you now <laughs> mm. so on the sub we have the american captain and bond and uh, the captain's just got some orders in from the pentagon that he's got orders to now go and destroy stromberg's lair like they've realized this guy's no good let's get rid of it um but obviously Anya is still on there. She's, I think we've got to say, but there was one shot in the middle of all that firefight where she's, she's been tied up by Stromberg. So she's in there still. Um, and Bond obviously wants to still go and save her. So sort of persuades the, the captain to give him a bit of time. Uh, 
40 minutes or an hour just to go in there and try and get her out before they do uh, torpedo it. Well, and... he's, that's, it's weird, though, because he's like, give me an hour. And the guy's like, eh, it's like 40 minutes. And then the guy's like, you can have an hour. So, oh. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Terrible negotiator. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, he gives him the time to do that. And so Bond asks for that. But something that Q dropped in for him, some gadget, and it ends up being this uh, sort of little jet ski thing that you build together. Um, kind of Cue a, the Bond theme one more time. <laughs> I guess it's meant to be a little bit like Little Nelly in a way, but obviously not as cool because, it, yeah, it's just like this little... I think they, it's got like the word wet bike on it. I have no clue it was called a wet bike, but there you go. Um, and that gives Bond the opportunity to drive up to the lair um, and try and rescue Anya. And so that's what he does. He goes in uh, and goes up kind of where we saw him disguised as uh, Mr. Sterling. He goes up the elevator. Uh, and this is, as you were saying before, when they, they focused on the whole dropping mechanic of the the lift and how the lady went into the sharks before. Um, you expect that this time because Bond goes up. Obviously, Stromberg's watching him. He knows he's coming. I think he sees him on the camera. Um, but... Uh, you you cut to Stromberg's room, and the doors open, and he's there. Bond is still there. He made it. He did not drop down because he put his feet over the, the bottom of it and you know propped himself up so he didn't fall in. Clever Bond, eh? And yeah, Stromberg's there at the head of the big table he was at before, and this scene is just like so quick, and it's a shame because this is the ending. Like this, this is the villain being killed basically. Uh, he asks, there's a little bit of back and forth, but he asks Bond to sit down um, at the end of his table where he has like this big gun, like this harpoon gun thing attached to the underside of it. So pointing straight at Bond, which he uses to try and shoot him. But it's clearly not very fast because it gives still enough time for Bond to dive out of the way of this explosion. And so instead, Bond shoots Bond shoots down the barrel of this harpoon gun to kill him. Um, which, you know, if you take into account how straight that shot has to be, Bond, you know, got to give it to Bond. That's a good shot to do. Uh, but then he just straight up shoots him afterwards anyway. <laughs> I, I don't quite get that. He does like this, this really sneaky way of shooting him. And then just shoots him point blank a few times. Um, and that is really it. Like, it's such... I, I think we, we have... We've said that we'd, we've liked Stromberg in this up to a point. Like, I think he was introduced really well. But then you don't really see him very much. And then there's not really much to do with him. And then this is how it ends. And it's just, it's just not great. It's just, just over, really, isn't it? It's, yeah, there's just no payoff to any of it. Like, it's just, let's introduce, apparently he had a harpoon gun pipe under his table which is ridiculously long like this is a massive table so it just looks really dumb having this massive pipe there like it would have made more sense if bond dropped him into the shark pit or something like oh that's what i would have liked to have seen because that's what he likes to do and tries to do with bond but there's just no payoff to any sense of his character it's just he tries to shoot at bond bond just jumps out the way like there's no clever trick here he's just like oh bloody hell there's a (laughs) harpoon <laughs> coming up at me just gets out of the way and shoots him and then just leaves and i really wanted to just oh bloody hell as he does it now <laughs> just dub, dub that in that would be great <laughs> and we also get a very unsatisfying kind of him being shot because it's like 
because they cut to Bond shooting him and then cut to him reacting, but it's like he's not reacting to the bullets. It's like he's just reacting. Like, it's mm. not like when you normally see in a film where you hear the gunshot and at that moment it cuts to a shot of them just, like, going backwards, you know, like, reacting to the bullet. Instead, it's just him being like, and just jerking around in a chair and it just, like, doesn't even sync up to when he's being shot. Yeah. He's just doing this big hammy, like, oh, you've killed me, you've killed me, like... And usually I'm I'm all up for a bit of ham, but seeing how this is, is the end and there's no real kind of like narrative or like narrative payoff to any of this, it's just just a bit lame. Yeah, a lame ending to, to the villain, but there you go. I can't ask for too much, I suppose. No, but we're not done yet. No, it's not the only villain. So Bond then goes off trying to find Anya still and enters this like metal corridor and and Jaws is there and the thing that's quite nice about this is that it starts with Bond has a gun so it's like right I'll just shoot him but shoots him in the mouth and because he shot him in the mouth and he's got a metallic jaw or jaws or teeth he doesn't have a metal jaw does he? He has metal teeth what is he not called teeth? (laughs) anyway (laughs) ah teeth (laughs) <laughs> ah, we meet again, Teeth. I can see why they didn't call him Teeth. <laughs> yeah, Jaws is the better name, but he doesn't have a metal jaw. It's right. But anyway, so so Bond shoots him and it hits his uh his metal teeth, and because he spent all that time shooting Strongbow before he's run out of bullets and has to reload. So bullets just oh bullet <laughs> Jaws grabs him and gives him a little bit of a throw. And they go into another room and it's like this, it's a pretty big room to be fair, which has got like two levels and like a ton of water below. Um, It's a very James Bond looking area, but it's all like railings and gratings and stuff like that. Um, I think I might have got this a little bit wrong, but uh, anyway, Jaws and Bond is in this room and Bond is trying to climb off the railing, which Jaws just like grabs him and stops him. And Bond does eventually do it. And he goes into the middle of this room where there's this control panel and there's a magnet control, luckily. For some reason, yeah. Yeah, like, of course you would need one of those for an underwater base or whatever. Um, So then it's this giant magnet that's hanging from the ceiling. So Bond puts it over the top of Jaws and Bond then smiles at Jaws and turns it on and Jaws gets tucked to the magnet by his teeth of which Bond then kind of picks him up and he's like hanging off this big magnet. So he just very calmly moves him over to the water and drop. And we see that there's a shark in the water and we see that the yeah, Bond drops him in and Jaws gets attacked by a shark. But instead of having the shark win, instead Jaws just wrestles with the shark and bites it to death. Yeah. And this was kind of horrible to watch. And maybe that was the point because Jaws is supposed to be kind of intimidating, but there is so much blood in this scene and I don't know how they did this because that shark is moving the whole time and I can't imagine they had the actor bite a shark, Um, but it shot too convincingly well, I think, which it made me uncomfortable because I don't want to see a shark get bitten to death. Oh, I... I don't remember much of it, like in the details of it, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was some not great animal treatment. Um, but the thing is, is like, I, I like the premise of this. And the thing is, they must have known 
that they they had sort of a winning character with Jaws because you know they do ultimately Jaws does does defeat the shark and he does survive. So they must have known like right, we're going to bring back this character because he's going to be he's going to be a fan favorite, which he was. So I I, I do like this whole setup of like. Not not even a shark can beat him. Like he is he is one tough fella. Yeah, I do as well. Like it doesn't like I don't know how they would have pulled that off successfully with this film and in this underwater base, giving him a satisfying ending. So instead just have him continue the whole I'm invincible and can do whatever thing and have him kill a shark, which has been a very like intimidating animal that we've seen multiple times kill a lot of people in these films. But mm. having Jaws actually survive that is like kind of shocking. Um, so I, yeah, I really liked it. It's a really nice kind of wrap-up where Bond gets the better of Jaws, but Jaws being Jaws also survives. Like It's oh. a really nice balance between those two. Wait, what year did Jaws come out? 72 71 oh okay so this would definitely have been after that maybe it was reference to that as well i don't know <laughs> oh what our jaws is better jaws, jaws defeating jaws yeah jaws on jaws uh we cut back to the american captain who's on the submarine who is saying oh we're five minutes overdue um so that he's given bond an extra five minutes but he fires the missiles but at the same time, Bond finds Anya and frees her and we kind of get a lot of shots of the base being flooded because now the base is being attacked and exploding and we see Jaws swimming and trying to get away and a lot of water is then dropped on him and eventually Bond and Anya going through all these flooded corridors finds the escape chamber but it won't open and eventually Bond sees a hatch and everything's kind of sinking and Anya is freaking out and eventually they do get into the pod and we see it's this kind of small pod here, but it's all very fancy. And we get a shot of them, like, calming down for a second. So they're all very wet from the water, but they're just not too sure what's happening. And eventually Bond sees some champagne and pops it open. Uh, but as we know, Anya is still mad at Bond and said, I'm going to shoot you after the mission is done. And now the mission is done. So Anya points the gun at Bond. We get a little zoom in on Bond and she goes to pull the trigger but instead of the trigger going off, the champagne cork pops instead. Ah. And, yeah, which I actually kind of liked um, as a moment. And Bond asks for one final request and says, let's get out of these wet things, which causes her to smile, and then they kiss. And basically, well, sleep together. <laughs> And then Jaws comes and attacks him because you have oh, no. to have that. You have to have the 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 henchman come back, right? That's that's the that's the pattern, isn't it? Not this one. Oh, thank God. Not this time. He <laughs> oh, re- <thank laughs> he just rips the metal off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's you do see him in the in the ocean, so he's still there. He could, he could find him. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So the last shot of Jaws is him just swimming. Like he gets to the top, so the base sinks with him in it, and he just swims upwards and is fine. And then just starts swimming in a random direction, which I think is a great, great last moment for him. <laughs> I'd, I'd, oh, I'd love to see him wrapping open that escape pod, though. That would, yeah, that <laughs> would be, be great. great. Oh. So, yeah, so they're kissing in bed and eventually the, the pod gets rescued by a nearby ship. And we see Q, M and the the KGB guy waiting for them, being like, oh, it's a job well done. Very good. And there's a big circle kind of window in the escape pod and 
they all go up to it and bend down and see them naked in bed kissing, uh, basically sleeping together. And M's like, Bond, what the, what do you think you're doing? And we get quite a famous quip here where he says, well, I'm keeping the British end up, sir. Oh, and then I'll let cue, that one pass. Yeah. And then cue the, <laughs> I said cue and stopped, which cue is there, but uh, sadly he doesn't do anything. But yeah, a kind of a campy version of the the main theme plays before going into the proper version and credits. Yeah. That's it's the like film. a it's like a it's like a musical version or so. It's like a Broadway thing, isn't it? Of like a choir yeah. singing it. Very strange. Very very strange ending. So, I think we've already kind of hinted at this, but yeah, the Anya stuff is just kind of very lame. That they were going through all this, but they just didn't really have enough time in the film to resolve this. So instead, we just get a silly moment with Bond popping a champagne bottle open and she just forgives him and they sleep together just for the sake of this line of keeping the British end up and stuff. It's just like, like they had to get there and they've already spent quite a lot of time on this. So they just got there. It's you're at the end of the film, so it didn't bother me too much, but it does kind of put a little bit of a stain on Anya and the character that it had to go to this place just because a Bond film has to end with the Bond girl and Bond sleeping together at, as the final shot. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, as I say, it was it was doomed to fail, this whole this whole plot point. Um, there's, there is a template that has, has to fit into, and also you're right, like it was introduced far, far too late in the film, to be able to be dealt with in a like a, a nicely paced way. Um, so instead you just have to have, oh, Bond saves her life and then she immediately drops all sort of revenge plans and that's it. And, you know, that's, that's a shame. Um, I'm still pleased it's an aspect of this film, even though it didn't pay off. But, yeah, I just, I, I think it could have worked if they had introduced that earlier. They didn't. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Overall, it's a massive positive. This plot line works more than it doesn't work. It's just we kind of get to this point. It's like, oh, bloody hell, we've got to finish this film. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then they kiss and she falls for him. There we go. Done. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So we then actually get a very long version of the credits here. Like, this is the first time we get a proper long credit sequence, which we won't talk about that much, but I thought it was interesting because all the other ones have been very short like it's like 30 seconds of credits then you're done but this one was actually a lot longer than that with like different shots showing the ship and things like that oh really yeah yeah because normally it's just like main cars and stuff and but yeah this was actually a proper set of credits oh i i think i turned it off <laughs> i did that's fair <laughs> i was done by this point it was late <laughs> but did you see the very last bit though because oh, no. it says the end of the spy who loved me james bond will return in for your eyes only oh okay so we'll save that for another day but yeah so in this film they originally put for your eyes only and never went back and changed it even though the next film is actually moonraker how were they to know that star wars was going to be such a huge hit no one told them george didn't mention it (laughs) come on george so there we are that's the spy who loved me joe i think it's you to start with the ranking this time oh okay um Okay. Oh. So this was my I looked it up. This was my third best when we did our our episode 0. This was my third top. So it was never going to stray too far away from that I felt like. 
Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning of this, there were parts that I ended up liking more, some parts that I liked a lot less. The parts that I liked a lot less, kind of obvious, I think, by this last part is the ending of the film. I think the, the pacing is just spoiled with this whole tanker scene and the big firefight and, yeah, uh, and, and the rushed ending to the whole Anya Bond revenge plot thing. Um, but then there are bits that I just think, wow, this was actually, there's a reason why this is up there. I mean, you have the Lotus Esprit scenes and that whole chase, I think, is really strong. You have the scenes of Jaws in Egypt, probably one of the best parts of the film for me. Um, you have really good music parts, not so good music parts. It's, it is mixed, but it's, there's definitely more good than bad. Um, so I think, for me, this is always going to be near the top. I did struggle... And I'll be honest, even during this recording, I was going back and forth between where I was going to put this. And basically my question was, is it going to be From Rush of Love, which nothing has so far. It's still my number one. And similar issues with From Rush of Love, like the ending of that, I don't love either. So what is going to put one above the other? I think this is going to go as number two. I think it still doesn't quite beat From Rush of Love. Um... Only just, though. Only just. Well, this is huge. <laughs> Stop everything. <laughs> I just think when I when I see those two films, I would I would still be more interested in From Rush of Love. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, that's that's surprising. So From Russia with Love was that number five for you before? Yeah, yeah. So it's actually wow. it's jumped over it. But I will say this is like a knife's edge, right? It's very very close because I do love. Mm. I, as we were talking about this film, I just realized there are so many good things about it. Um, and it is definitely up there as one of the best Roger Moore ones. So I just think, like, is there any of the Bond films we've reviewed so far, has any had a truly good ending? I just think we always have the same, we end up having the same discussion. And it's always usually that the ending isn't very good. I don't know. I like the Thunderball ending. You like the Thunderball ending? Okay. Yeah. Well, it depends what you take as the ending, right? Like, I like the underwater scene, but also I think the boat stuff with the submarine boat is really good. Like, a bit mental, but I still like it. Um, so I would say overall that had that probably has the best ending. And on a Majesty Secret Service also does have a good ending, I would say. Yeah, I think for me, I, I don't. I don't think many, like any of them so far, I wouldn't say I've loved. That's the problem. I just need one that is, like, good from start to finish. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wow, okay, so number two, all right. Number two, um, yeah. There it is. I mean, I would have been shocked if you put uh, this under Thunderball. Like, I don't think that was ever on the table for you. Yeah. Because that, that had a lot of water in it as well, but not quite as much. <laughs> I still like Thunderball, don't get me wrong, but yeah, Roger has to go in there somewhere. Hmm. <laughs> Roger has to go in there somewhere. <laughs> we'll find room for you, Roger, don't worry. Oh, yeah. Poor Roger, so... Uh, for me, this is a really interesting film because it's so much expectation kind of goes into it. And for a lot of the film, it meets those expectations. Like the intro or the opening sequence is great, like the best one so far. Yeah. And I do like some of the music. And I think all the stuff in Egypt is like really good. Like the first half of this film is like really, really good and completely meets that expectation. Apart from Sandor, let's 
take a moment Aww. to appreciate Sandor. <laughs> Poor Sandor. Uh, but yeah, the, the Egypt stuff is great. And even a lot of the Italy stuff is great. The chase scene and the Lotus, like so much of this film is really good. Like 75% of this film is really, really good and really, really enjoyable. It's just the last 25% just kind of drags. And it's a tricky one when it comes to films because if you're going to have a part of the film that's not great, you want it to be like the midpoint or the beginning, not the end. Because when you walk away from the film, it just kind of leaves like a bad taste in your mouth. And you're not like, oh, I really enjoyed that. Like with Goldfinger, there's a lot of stuff I didn't like about that film, but I like the Fort Knox stuff. And overall, I came and the Goldfinger scene on the plane when he dies and I come away feeling positive and I'm like, I enjoy that film even though when I look back on it, I have problems with it. The Spy Who Loved Me is one of those where I, the, the, because the ending's not great and the way it's paced, I kind of come away being like, oh, that was kind of a bit of a, a bit of a bummer, how much that kind of dragged. And it kind of makes me think more about the stuff I kind of didn't like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Stormberg, I think, is the worst villain we've had. Potentially, the only one worse is Blofeld from You Only Live Twice, which is quite funny because this film is just massively taking from that film. Um, but yeah I think it's the worst villain not a bad villain like he's got good moments but he kind of gets let down although saying that we get a lot of Jaws and I think Jaws is really great and really enjoyable and the you know I like the push towards showing off where we are and things like that but yeah this film's just kind of complicated and maybe without the expectations I would be a bit nicer on it but but I mean I will say overall really enjoyed it like I'm not setting up oh, it's going up, like, low down on my list. It's still going up there. But as I said at the beginning, I didn't know where this would land. And I think talking about it, it's just, man, it's just the fact that the last half an hour kind of drags, like, any other part of the film. And it would have been, like, potential for number one, number two. But I just don't think I can do it. And, you know, so I will say it's definitely above Dr. No. I think there's just a lot of highs in this film and a lot of stuff that is just awesome and some of the best of Bond exist in this film so something like dr no is just too low-key um so then i kind of come to from russia with my top three at the moment is from russia with love fundable on a Majesty secret service and in terms of which one i would rather re-watch like i i prefer from russia with love ah uh, i oh, think whoa. i might prefer to watch fundable again over this yeah. and maybe that's not particularly fair because Fundable we watched like six weeks ago, or probably like seven weeks ago, actually. So there has been a little bit of a distance there. So this might be one that I need to kind of revisit later down the line when everything's kind of settled, where The Spy Who Loved Me is not the most recent film I've watched. Um, and on A Majesty's Secret Service, I do really like that film and it's unique feel. So I'm going to put it underneath that as well. Um, <gasps> okay, wow. So for me, it slots in at number four. Uh, so it goes underneath on a Majesty's Secret Service, but it goes above Dog to No. And I definitely would still, if we had a, like a tier list here, you know, like Spy Love Me still goes like top tier. Like it's still a top tier Bond film because I feel like Dog to No is the like the beginning of another tier for me. Like I like it, but it's not quite the same as the other ones. Um, so I group it as in one of the better Bond films and one I did enjoy. It's just, and sadly because of the last half an hour, I don't think I would rather we rewatch this one over my top three. So yeah, it goes in at number four underneath on a Majesty Secret Service, but above Doctor No. Oh, it really just is that last half hour, isn't it? Oh, if it was anything different, that would it would be like far and away my top. I would agree. But... Like if it was a little bit cut down and there was a bit more kind of tension and 
if the well, Stormberg had a kind of a bit of a better ending, yeah, it could easily be top. Easily be top. And it pains me that I can't put it above Thunderball because <laughs> I think we said it before, Thunderball being a number two, it's not a very strong number two. It deserves to be overtaken. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't couldn't do it for this film. Oh. Uh, well there you go. I I still think number four is not bad. Number four is not bad. But I'm I'm just looking at my list and like my Roger Moore films are just all over the place at the moment. Like we've got this one at number two, the Mound of Golden Gun is now five, Living That Die is ten, like they're so varied. I do wonder how it's going to go in the future. Hmm. Mine are a bit more consistent, but I like that I've got a Roger Moore film more towards the top, you know. Because yeah. the man with the golden gun, live and let die, and diamonds are forever. That era is going to get sh- is at the bottom for me at the moment, and it's just going to keep being shoved down. <laughs> it's going to crush down that diamonds are forever. Stamp yeah, it keep, out. <laughs> keep that going. Keep that. Get it in the twenties. Let's just do that now. Why not? Um, so I like you know again. This is still a really good Bond film, and I would definitely recommend it for people just kind of be aware it might drag at some points and yeah it's still up there still enjoyed it still a great bond film yeah definitely like i obviously the last half <laughs> ironically the last like half an hour 40 minutes of this episode has been us kind of not quite as enthusiastic but yeah it overall still a really great film yeah yeah how do we let's uh let's kind of, let's rejuvenate this podcast right at the end um uh jaws how about that yeah. jaws eh not the last i've <laughs> seen of him yeah jaws eh <laughs> he'll be back what a character ah oh, that damn tank scene man <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get out of here all right i yep. think we've yeah again still a thumbs up people still a thumbs up so now we get to, we're in a new era, as always. Keep entering these eras. So next week, we've got to go for Moonraker. So I have no no idea what's going to happen next week. We we are going back to space, finally. What finally. all the fans are asking for. <laughs> Why doesn't Bond go into space anymore? I know, right? Why yeah. doesn't Bond go and... I've just saw Luke Skywalker with a lightsaber, and now I want Bond to have a lightsaber. Well, never fear. Q's on it. Q's on it. Well, it's quite simple, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Force is quite a simple concept, Emma. It's like... Yeah, it's just these midichlorians, you see. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, you know, it'd be quite simple to, you know, do a little hovering or something. <laughs> All right, any last thoughts before we go, Joe? Uh, be prepared for the next podcast, I think, to be very similar, because I think ultimately Moonraker is going to be quite a similar film. Hmm. I think you're right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Bond Revisited podcast. You have been listening to episode 10 of the podcast. Uh, We will return next week with Moonraker. 